Welcome to the Neurodiverse Love Podcast. I'm Mona, and I was married for 30 years, in that relationship for 32, and I've been divorced for five years, and together we have an amazing adult daughter. And today is actually five years from the date that my ex-husband and I divorced. We divorced on May 30th, 2018, and I wanted to do another solo episode to talk about why divorce was the right choice and decision for me and share some of the things that I didn't understand in my relationship and some of the things that I learned after discovering we were a neurodiverse couple. And a lot of these topics have been discussed on the podcast, but they haven't been addressed all together. So I thought this might be helpful for the listeners to hear as I kind of move through what I learned and continue to learn as I'm on this journey of uh, meeting new folks who are autistic, autistic ADHD, and are neurodivergent in other ways. So first, I want to talk about the five issues that I think were most challenging in my marriage of 30 years. And those are the emotional differences, our communication differences, our processing differences, sensory differences, and um, employment and work-related differences. And I use the word differences because I think we all have differences. And the question is, if we can understand the differences and eventually get to the point of accepting the differences, will they be challenges in our relationship? And I think um, I, as a social worker, I think I've always been on a journey to understand and accept. And when the acceptance leads to mental health challenges, which was my case, I realized that um, I needed to move forward on a separation and then a divorce. So I want to talk first about the emotional differences. So one of the things that I've talked about on the podcast a lot is that I am very emotional. I cry, I scream, I speak my mind, I'm not afraid of conflict. And my ex was actually the opposite in just about every single one of those areas. So when I would cry or scream, oftentimes he would shut down. It was very rare that he would scream back. It happened as our marriage went on, maybe in the last few years, he would um, say something back and he might even scream. But usually he would go silent and he would shut down. In addition, I was not afraid of conflict. And so I wanted to talk about things that were challenges in our relationship and I wanted to work through them or I wanted to go for therapy or I had listened to a podcast or read a book and I wanted to share that with him. And it always seemed like I had different thoughts about ways in which we could share our emotions and process through them. And I realize now that, you know, part of that was just our personalities and another big part of that was our different neurology. And I think the more um, I got emotional, the more my ex didn't know what to do. And I was never clear and concise um, 
repeatedly about what I needed, except for, and I've said this on the podcast before, whenever I was emotional or was sad, the best thing he could do was give me a hug. And in the beginning, he would ask me, do you need me to give you a hug? And I said, yes, you can never go wrong with giving me a hug. So I think if I had maybe been more clear and concise, if I had not flooded my ex repeatedly with my emotions and my crying and my screaming, you know, maybe um, we could have had different types of conversations, but you never know. The next area I want to talk about is communication. And I think we both had very different ideas about what effective communication looked like. I was raised by two psychologists and I talked a lot to both of them. My sister and I now realize my father was autistic, so, and he passed away in 2005. So the conversations with my dad were very um, linear, logical, very concise and specific, and not there wasn't a lot of emotion involved. And with my mother, there was a lot more emotion, and I could share openly and honestly, and there was no judgment, and usually there was no attempt to solve problems immediately, we actually work through them together oftentimes. And so with communication, I think a lot of times my ex wanted it to be clear and concise, which I absolutely have learned how to do. But I think he also wanted it to to, to end quickly. Like processing things repeatedly was very, very difficult for him. And I needed to continue to process until I had come to or we had come to a resolution. And it seemed like we kept having the same discussions or arguments over and over again because we had such different perspectives on what we each needed, and we couldn't seem to communicate that clearly in a way that we could each understand. So communication for me also is a way to connect, to bond, to feel emotionally intimate. And I think for my ex, communication was very different. He liked to communicate about his deep and special interests. He didn't want to talk about emotions. He didn't really want to process his day. And I didn't understand what we each needed, and neither did he. And so our communication challenges got worse as our marriage went along because also the therapists that we saw did not know anything about neurodiversity. And if they had, they could have given us some tools and some ways and strategies and some tools that we could have used as we moved forward in our relationship. And so the other area is processing. And I will tell you that I am very quick to make decisions and I don't need a lot of time to process. Yes, I, um, when I was younger, especially, I would talk to my friends and process with them. And then once I made a decision, I made a decision. Whereas with my ex, I noticed over and over and over again that if I asked him to make a decision, you know, quickly, it put him into kind of a an overload and a stress mode. And sometimes when he'd make the decision, he would he would talk to me very fast or he would not be very kind when he gave me the response. And I later realized that um, in conversations we had that he felt that I was pressuring him. 
And what he didn't communicate to me, and this is a message I think for a lot of the autistic partners out there, is that he needed a certain amount of time and space to process things where I didn't. So if we had had an opportunity to understand what we each needed, we could have communicated that to each other. But instead, I judged him. I thought it took him way too long to process decisions or to make decisions or to process information. And I judged him. And I'm sure he judged me because I was too quick to make decisions. And that was another challenge that we had. And then um, sensory issues. I remember, I don't remember what year it was in our marriage, but I remember my ex-husband ordering these special earplugs and they were hundreds of dollars. They were fit just for his ears. And I remember him telling me that the sound of my voice physically hurt his ear. And I think it was the right ear, I'm not sure. And so when we would walk somewhere, and we'd be talking, he would move to the other side of me if he didn't have his earplugs in because he felt physical pain when I talked. And I think it was at a certain tone or, or whatever. And so you can imagine, again, we didn't know we were a neurodiverse couple. You can imagine how I felt understanding that my voice for the rest of our lives would hurt my husband at the time's ears. You know, I never ever wanted to hurt him ever and I don't think he ever wanted to hurt me either we never did but there was so much unintentional hurt because again we didn't understand our unique neurology and I know there were other sensory issues that I saw uh, when we first met my ex would either be chewing uh, hubba bubba bubble gum or he would be chewing on straws or he would be smoking um, he needed that you know stimulation uh, at all times. I mean, when we were working, I, I guess he was under a tremendous stress and that helped calm him down. But we definitely had um, no understanding of the unique sensory issues that we may have had. And I think when we separated, my ex was actually experiencing peace and bliss, maybe for the first time in his life because he had never lived alone. And he could have complete silence in his apartment or he could have, you know, music blaring or whatever. And anything that caused some sensitivity, he did not have to have in his apartment or in his life. In fact, I remember um, I have a lot of what I call tchotchkes and knickknacks and a lot of art on the walls. And when he moved into his apartment, he never put anything on the walls. And I asked him why. And he said, because I have it in my imagination. I don't need it. I have it in my mind. I don't need it on the walls. And I thought that was interesting and unique. Again, we didn't know we were a neurodiverse couple. And then another area that was an ongoing challenge for us in our relationship had to do with employment. And um, my ex has tremendous skills in a lot of different areas. But actually, I think one of the things that created challenges that I think were irreparable at, at um, that point in our marriage was we had agreed that my ex-husband would take a year off to work on um, a project he wanted to work on. It was a creative project. And after that year, he was supposed to go back to work 
Well, he did not go back to work and he didn't go back to work for about another six plus years. So he was out of work for over seven years. He was able-bodied. He wasn't, you know, disabled or physically not able to get a job. He just had enjoyed being home, being creative so much that um, until I threatened him with divorce, and I literally did, he did not start looking for a job. And he actually took, I, I think it was about 15 months after I threatened him with a divorce before he found a job. And in my opinion, he's always been underemployed. He, um, except for that period, he always had some kind of job. It might have been a part-time job or it might have been a job that paid, you know, close to minimum wage. But it was never, in my opinion, at the level that I think he had the skills to do the work that he was capable of doing. And I think, you know, that's something that I hear from um a lot of the neurodiverse couples that I work with or the neurotypical folks that come to the support groups, it's almost like there's one extreme or the other where, you know, the partner is either underemployed or unemployed or switching jobs all the time because they're getting fired or the stress is too much and they're leaving or they are almost workaholics or they are workaholics and they are um they stand out in their profession and they're leaders and they're just really skilled and they're doing fantastic work and making a lot of money but they also become workaholics and the balance between work and home becomes a challenge and so i i've said this i think a few times on the podcast but i want to stress this even more. I'm not divorced because I discovered that we were a neurodiverse couple. That was not the issue at all. When we discovered we were a neurodiverse couple, it was, I guess, a little less than two years we were into our separation. And so it was the summer of 2017, and we'd been separated since February 2016. And as a social worker, and an educator, and just Mona, I, once I realized we were a neurodiverse couple, I read everything I could get my hands on. I listened to all the videos I could find, the YouTubes, whatever, on autistic adults. And then I shared a lot of information with my ex, and I don't know how much of it he read. At some point, he says, you know, I read or or watched everything you sent me, and I hope he did. But I also realized that, um, we were not just a neurodiverse couple in that he was autistic. I do believe that I have a lot of ADHD traits. Uh, I don't know, and this is the challenge with women, I don't know that I would be diagnosed. And I also dealt with depression since our daughter was born. And I've talked about this on the podcast. And with the depression came some anxiety. Um, I did go on Cymbalta during our separation, and it helped immensely. I'm no longer on it, but thank God for medication in my life. But I also watched my ex-husband deal with a tremendous amount of anxiety and OCD and even paranoia and gastrointestinal issues. And so we both had challenges. We both had uh, differences that we didn't understand. And so where I was repeatedly looking for him to change, for 
me to understand how we could change as a couple and then also doing my own work, I think that sometimes it was just overwhelming. There was just too much that we did not understand. And by the time we began to understand it, we were already in our mid-50s and we had spent, you know, 30 years together. So it was... It, in, in my opinion, I think it was almost impossible for us to heal individually and as a couple and stay in our marriage. So in addition to the mental health issues we dealt with, the physical issues, the neurological differences, I think also um, we we didn't fully understand what was going on, but I don't know that either one of us fully accepted the role we had played in the end of our marriage. And it's just, you know, recently, I think in the last year, maybe year and a half, that I have fully begun to accept the role I played and to understand more about the role my ex played and how our different neurology played into ongoing challenges, ongoing challenges, and I think a lot of strengths. And I know my ex is is very technologically knowledgeable and astute. I do not have those skills. Still, to this day, it surprises me sometimes that I've been doing a podcast for two and a half years. But um, he had those skills, and he was very capable of doing things that in a million years I never would be able to do. So he would put the furniture together, he would fix, you know, electrical outlets, he would uh, replace, you know, uh, faucets and sinks. And I mean, he could do amazing things. He probably could build a house by himself if it was something he wanted to do. In a million years, I could never do that. But then he would never have been able to do the work I did as a social worker. He had really no friends when we were together. He had, you know, acquaintances, a, a guy or two that he had met at work. But I had tons of friends. I was a very social person. I met, you know, so many people throughout my career and my life, and, and some of them I'm still friends with. And so that was a big difference. We accepted it on some level, but I don't think we fully understood what each other's needs were. And so we didn't communicate that to each other. And by not understanding and also not accepting the differences, they did become major challenges towards the end of our relationship. And so for me, people have asked me this um, a lot. They've said, if you had known you were a neurodiverse couple earlier in your marriage, do you think that you would have had a different outcome? And I tell folks that four years into my marriage, I was ready to divorce my ex-husband. I loved him deeply. I loved him so much. But we were just so different. And, you know, at the time when I was ready to divorce him, we were 27 years old. We didn't know ourselves and we were just beginning to get to know each other. We met at 21 and married at 23. And I realized that we were not only very different, but um, where I was on a career path where I was getting my master's degree, he was floundering in his career. And I told him I was ready for a divorce. 
and he he begged me to stay. Um, and it was a very, 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 very difficult and emotional night. And I chose to stay and spent another 26 years in our marriage. And there were so many good things. I, you know, I want everybody to know that it wasn't filled with, you know, ongoing challenges every day. I think one of the critical changes in our life that did maybe derail my ex a little bit was when we had our daughter in 1996. He had not wanted to have a child when we started getting serious. And I told him if he didn't want to have a child, that I was not the right partner for him. So he quickly, literally, this is probably the the quickest decision change he made in our, our time together. He said, oh, well, I'll have one, but we have to wait five years. I'm like, okay. So the five years turned into nine years. We waited nine years after our marriage. We were 32 when we had our daughter. And I think for my ex, having a child changed things dramatically. The first few years of our um, time as co-parents, he was almost like he was in the military. He was really good at creating structure and routine. And when our daughter started to become her own person and she went to school, that's when I think the challenges started to grow um, exponentially. And as she got older, I think it was more difficult for him. And I've talked about some of those things on the podcast. But I think the breaking point for me was when my ex, um, had not worked, you know, for over seven years and he got the job he got and he knew that if he lost that job or if he quit that job, I was divorcing him. I, I was done. I had had too much responsibility on my shoulders So I think the job became his first priority and me and our daughter, second, third, fourth, I don't know. So I saw almost overnight that he would do whatever he needed to get his work done. And where the place where he worked, I think they were open like 10 to 6 or 10 to 7. He started going in at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and staying till 9 or 10. And his boss very graciously let him do that. I think part of the reason he did that is because he needed the time after the store closed to be by himself to do his work where it was silent and he had no interruptions. But instead of being honest with me about what was going on, I think he was really just trying to keep his head above water, knowing that he wanted to stay in the marriage and the idea of divorce wasn't what either one of us really wanted but I was moving closer and closer to it. And then really, I started losing trust in him because he would tell me he was going to do things. And this went on throughout our marriage, but it started getting worse when he went back to work. And he would tell me he was going to do things and he wouldn't follow through. And I would ask him to do it again and he wouldn't follow through. And I became a nag or a bitch or a pain in the ass or whatever. And that is not a role that I wanted to be in in my marriage. I needed to to be a partner and I wanted my ex to be a partner. So the more I lost trust in his word and I felt like in many situations I was being lied to. Although now I look back 
I don't think he was intentionally meaning to lie to me. I think he was saying yes to things because he wanted to do them, but then he would not follow through. So that was a really, really big issue for me. And then there was the emotional neglect. And we had always had a great great sex life. And I talked about that on the podcast. And physical intimacy and sexual intimacy was never an issue for us. Um, I think it actually was one of his special interests early on because he had read so much and studied so much. And, and that was just a real strength in our relationship. And what I noticed was that um, when I would reach out to him, you know, to have a conversation, whether it was by text or phone, uh, he wouldn't answer. I wouldn't hear from him. And I felt it was neglectful, and now I understand that it was very hard for him to make the transition to take time away from work to talk to me because he never knew how long I was going to want to talk or what the issues were, but still it felt like neglect. And then I do remember that um, during sex, we would have great sex, and he would literally walk out of our bedroom door, and it was like he was totally disconnected from me, like he would have no conversations even before where we maybe would sit on the couch and we would sit next to each other, that also started to change and he would go into his office and I would be left alone. And it felt absolutely horrible. And my depression um, had gotten really, really bad. And I started feeling so, so, so lonely when he went back to work. And I knew our daughter was going to college. And when she went away to college and that was in 2014, the loneliness and the depression just hit rock bottom. And I tried everything I could think of. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of crying. There were a lot of emotions thrown around the room by me and a lot of shutdowns on his part and nothing seemed to work. And then finally, I said, if nothing is going to change, I said this to myself, if nothing's going to change in the next three to five years, are you going to be okay? staying in the marriage. And I said to myself, absolutely not. And I asked for separation. And that was in 2016. My ex wanted a divorce. Um, And I said, please just give us six months. Let's see if we can go to therapy and we can work this out. He finally agreed to that. And the six months turned into almost two and a half years. And I have talked about this on the podcast And I will just say the reason that I finally filed for divorce, even though he threatened over, you know, two plus years that he was going to divorce me, he was going to file. He never did. I think he wanted me to do it. And I did not want a divorce. I wanted us to work through it, especially when I found out we were a neurodiverse couple. Um, He had found his freedom, he had found his peace, he had found the life that I think he maybe craved always, and that was to be alone. Um, And then to, he wanted to date me, he wanted to date me for the rest of our lives, and I said, no, we're married, I don't want to date you. Um, And then when I was in the hospital, because I thought I was having a heart attack, um, he came in and was cold, stoic. I was in the emergency room, cold, stoic. And I told him to go home if he was going to be like that. And a few minutes later, he screamed at me that he was going to divorce me the following week. And that was the end. And that was the last straw that broke the camel's back. And I can say now with a sense of peace and calmness 
that that was the end. But if you had talked to me five years ago, I was a wreck. I was an absolute mess. And it took me two years of healing and working on myself and therapy and friends and family support to get to the point where I could start neurodiverse love. And I am so proud of the work that I have done over the last two and a half years. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of people have reached out to me and said either this podcast or my Instagram account has saved their marriage or helped them understand they were in a neurodiverse relationship or helped them understand that this was not the right relationship for them and that they needed to move on. So I want to thank all of you for listening and for sharing this information with your partners and your families. And I hope to continue doing the podcast for a while longer. And if there are topics that you want me to cover, feel free to reach out and you can email me at neurodiverselove, the number four, the letter U at gmail.com, or you can send me a DM on Instagram. And I just want to tell all of you who are thinking about separation or divorce, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I am happier and more at peace and more content than I've ever been in my life. And I'm 59 years old, and I never thought this was where I would be at 59, but I am the best version of Mona. So thank you all, and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.